0: You guys ready? Are you sure? Anybody afraid? Okay. So, we started last week a five-part series on 2 Timothy 1.7. Most of you know this passage. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. So, we're going to continue with that this morning and I want to jump right in because I'm, I'm. Well, you'll see in a minute. I'm going to kind of split my time with Rachel, so I have to be good up front. All right, we'll see how I deal with that. Pray. Um, anyway, let's review real quickly. If you missed last week, it's online. You can go listen to it. But I want to review a couple things. Have them in your mind as we as we start. Um, last week we made this point that all believers, every believer, all believers have a holy calling. It isn't holy because you work at a church. It's holy because God gave it to you, and uh, most of them, most of us are not going to work at a church or be a missionary, so most of them are holy callings out in the world, right? Or holy callings that you do at church, but you don't get paid to do it. So, but it's very clear in Scripture, everyone has one. Everyone has a holy calling, and this, as we get through this series, you're going to begin to see is really my main point, that we have a calling, that we have to engage our calling. No one is exempt from this. No one just, I'm just a Christian, Uh, God lets me go to heaven, I'm not doing anything special, I'm not called, I'm just here until I go there, and then I'll be there. That's not God, okay? So uh, we're going to be beating that drum hard. Uh, And the other thing we learned last week is that the devil will try to keep you from your calling with fear. He will try and intimidate you out of your calling, right? We talked about this. That's why Paul contrasts that in that verse. He's not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So this morning, before we talk about power and love and a sound mind, we want to talk a little bit about that spirit of fear that specifically God has not given you. So if you have one, where'd it come from? Good. Not God. The devil. All right. Now, I want to give you, just to think about this, a little story uh, about the devil trying to keep us from our calling with fear, with intimidation. Um, Some of you may be familiar with Brian Johnson. He's a nationally, internationally known worship leader. Anybody know Brian Johnson? We've sung some of his songs. If you didn't know him, you probably know the songs. Uh, Brian is called to be a worship leader. He's very effective at it. Brian fought fear significantly for, uh, I don't know, eight or ten years of his life, and probably to some degree does still even now, but but has victory, all right? He's, he's obtained the victory, but it took years. He, as a teenager into his early 20s, fought fear, fought panic attacks, had a hard time flying on planes, all this stuff that... Uh, came against him, and his parents taught him how to use the scriptures, taught him how to fight uh, because it was a spiritual battle. Except there was a six-month period where Brian kind of just said, ah, forget the God thing. I'm not going to pursue my calling. I'm not doing the God thing. I'm just going to do what I want. He did that for six months. Guess what didn't happen the entire six months? Not a single panic attack until he came under conviction and said, you know what, I need to follow my calling in God. And guess what immediately happened? You guys, it's not that hard to figure this out, is it? So what I want you to understand this morning is if you're battling fear, it doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. It might mean there's something right with you. It might mean that you have a calling that is scaring the willies out of the devil. And he's going all uh you know Barney Fife on you. Uh we gotta nip that in the bud. Right? If you're old you get that. If you watch reruns, nip it, nip it, nip it. Can't let that calling start taking hold. We're gonna have to attack with the spirit of fear. Get on it, Angie. Let's go. Right? And so that's what was going on. So I want you to understand uh this is real. Uh the kingdom of darkness is the, the currency of the kingdom of darkness is fear. Just like the currency of the kingdom of God is love. That's why we read last week in 1 John 4, perfect love casts out fear. That's why those are contrast, Because uh, Jesus works to motivate us through love. Satan's only real tool is fear. And that's what he uses. I think that's how the kingdom of darkness, I think little devils are afraid of bigger devils. And they make them, you know, they just bully them around right? So, what you need to know is fear, if it's the basis of the kingdom of darkness, fear is going to increase as darkness increases. And we know in the last days that darkness will increase, right? Uh, Isaiah 60, uh, the earth will be covered in darkness, but the glory of the Lord will rise upon you. So, if darkness is going to increase in the last days, fear is going to increase in the last days. And we see that, don't we? Uh, Just watch the news tonight, and it'll give you half a dozen things you need to be afraid of, right? Uh, Which is how they make money. So, if fear increases, as darkness increases, yet God in John 14 told us very clearly, do not be afraid. He said, don't be afraid. My peace I've given you, not as the world gives peace. This is different than the way the world gives peace. I'm giving you my peace. Don't be afraid. In the context of talking about the end times and how fear is going to increase, he tells us, don't be afraid. All right, so how do we do that? How do we not be afraid when fear is increasing in the earth? That's a good question. Glad you asked. All right. We'll talk about that. And what I want to do briefly, I just want to tell you a familiar story, uh, Old Testament story. Remember Elijah on Mount Carmel? It's pretty wild. There's lots of fire and dancing and, and uh, mocking and cool things. I like a good mock now and then, when you're when you're mocking the uh, you know the worshipers of Baal. Um, anyway, in First Kings 18 and 19, I'm not going to go read them. We'll look at a couple of verses, but I I want to encourage you go read these passages, uh, maybe this week while this is fresh in your memory. But in First Kings 18 and 19 we see Elijah, and Elijah's pit against uh, Jezebel and Ahab. Now, Ahab is the king of Israel at that time, but Jezebel's in charge. Let the reader understand. Uh, Got it? I mean, she is flat in charge. And uh prophets are being killed the people of god are being hunted down they've been looking for elijah for a long time because he had the power to say whether it will rain or not and for three and a half years it hasn't rained and so finally he's going to put an end to all this he calls everybody to mount carmel you guys remember the story uh and all the the worshipers of Baal and ashtaroth come to mount carmel and he says you guys build an altar i'll build an altar uh, you'll dance and cut yourself and and see if God'll answer your God's answer with fire I'll mock you a little bit and then I'll pour water on my altar and what happens fire comes down from heaven and consumes his offering and he tells the people why are you halted between two opinions if God's God serve him if those guys Gods God serve him and when he calls down fire from heaven, Everybody gets saved. They go, the Lord, he is God. And he says, great, that's awesome. I'm glad you've had that revelation. Now, what we need to do is kill all these false prophets. So in one day, 850 false prophets of Baal and Ashtaroth are wiped out, right? Then he says, by the way, it hasn't rained for three and a half years. I'm going to pray. It's going to rain. He says to King Ahab, you need to get in your chariot and go back to Jezreel, which is about 20 miles away from Mount Carmel because it's fixing to rain. And he prays, and then it says that as the rain began to form out over the ocean, he got up and ran, I don't know why, but he ran back to Jezreel, beat the chariot, still to this day the world record for the 20-mile run. (laughs) That's awesome. That is a good day, right? Now, he ends his day, Jezebel threatens his life, and he ends that day. Imagine you had a day like that. What'd you do today? Well, I called down fire from heaven. I took care of 850 prophets of Baal Nashtaroth. I set the world record for the 20 mile run. Uh, I think that's it. Oh, and I made it rain when it hadn't rained for three and a half years. He ends his day in flat out suicidal depression. If we were saying the things he was saying, they'd baker at you, put you in circles of care, and give you drugs. Hands down. Serious. He is in suicidal depression after a day like that. Think about that. What causes that? That's a pretty hard crash, right? Let's read what he says. He says in 1 Kings 19.4, and he prayed that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life. I am no better than my father's. After a day like that, he feels like a complete failure. Remember we talked last week about fear of failure? Imagine having a day like that and ending it feeling like a failure. Why does he feel like a failure? I suspect because even though all those things were accomplished, the witch who was in charge, who started all that, is still in charge. And now she wants to kill him. After all that, God, the same evil lady is still in charge, and she's going to kill me. I didn't accomplish a thing. I'm no better than my fathers. Take my life. I have had enough. Now, maybe not that extreme, but anybody relate? He kind of felt that way. Felt like a failure. So, he had a need. God recognized his need. He needed strengthening from God. And so, God sent him an angel that fed him and told him to rest. And then fed him again, gave him something to drink, told him to rest. He received supernatural strengthening from the angel of the Lord. Now, I want to highlight that in, it says in this verse, and he prayed. Now, it wasn't a great prayer. Uh, God, please kill me. That's not the best prayer that we see in the Bible, right? <laughs> Don't raise your hand. Some of you prayed that, right? Kill me now, God. All right. But he prayed. Because he needed strengthening from the Lord, and God gave him what he needed, not necessarily what he asked for. So I just want to say this, if you're going to battle a spirit of fear, you had better become a person of prayer, because you will need strengthening from the Lord. You will not have strength in yourself to win. All right, moving on. So in the strength of that uh, strengthening that the angel did, the food and the drink, he goes. Out in the wilderness for 40 days. And then finally, he meets with God and he pleads his case. And here's his case. Rachel will talk more about this. 1 Kings 19, so he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. That's you, God. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. I would suggest to you that he feels abandoned at this point. He spent three and a half years, just him in a brook and some ravens bringing him food. He thinks he's the only one that all the other prophets of God have been wiped out. And I don't think he just thinks he's abandoned by Israel. I think he's kind of blaming God a little. Uh, God, we I did the whole Mount Carmel thing and Jezebel's still gonna kill me. What's the deal, God? You did not come through. Now, the fire from heaven was good. Prophets of Baal, dead, awesome. Uh, That was a cool 20-mile run. I like the rain. Jezebel's still in charge, right? He feels abandoned, so he needs something. He needs two things, actually, and I want you to look at God's answer, Um, and we're going to look at what God doesn't do because this is important. So I'm going to look at the second thing first. Uh, One of the needs he had was truth from God. God says, by the way, I have reserved a remnant, 7,000, who have not bowed their knee to Baal. You can read about this. I'm not reading it all for you. You can go look it up in those chapters. Um, But I've reserved a remnant. You're not alone. That was a lie that the devil told you, and you need to quit believing that lie. I got others. I got a remnant. I've always got a remnant. I will always have a remnant. Every time you feel like the church you know, stinks and nothing's getting done uh, and our nation's going to hell in a handbasket and blah, 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 God will go, yeah, but I got a remnant. Right. And I don't need a lot. Right. I don't need a lot of people. I, you should see what I can do with 12. Right? So, if you're going to battle fear, the devil is a liar and he's going to lie to you. And you're going to need God's help identifying those lies and breaking the power of those lies. Because there is power in those lies. And so, uh, first. He breaks the power of that lie. He says, the truth is you're not alone. But the second thing that he does is what I find the most interesting. He does not critique his performance. He doesn't talk about the past day. He doesn't talk about Jezebel. He comes and he goes, Elijah says, uh, I've been very zealous for you. And they've killed everybody. I alone them left. They want to kill me also. And he goes, and God's answer is, I've got something for you to do. Did you catch that? I've got something for you to do. I got three people you need to anoint. You need to anoint Elisha and Hazael and Jehu. Get to work. He re engages his calling. I'm telling you guys, it is so about our calling about the thing God has designed us to do. He doesn't even commiserate with them. He doesn't go, well, here's what you did right, here's what you did wrong. Hey, let me let me just speak some encouragement to you while you're feeling a little abandoned here. He doesn't do any of that. He just goes, let me give you something to do. Let me focus you back on your calling. Let me get you back engaged with your calling. we got to pay attention to that. That's significant. Because the thing is, God has a generational perspective, and last week we talked about the difference between being partnered with God and performing for God. If you're performing for God and you're evaluating your calling based on results, you may determine that you're a failure because God is working in generations, and you may not live to see your success. Elijah didn't. Watch this. This is a beautiful example of God's generational perspective. He said, I want you to anoint Hazael, king over Syria. He'd be used to judge Israel. I want you to anoint Jehu, king over Israel. And I want you to anoint Elisha as your replacement. Now, Elijah only did one of those things. He anointed Elijah, Elisha. That's all he got done. Elisha anointed Haziel, Elisha's servant, who was also a prophet in the school of prophets, he sent his servant to anoint, um, who did I miss? Jehu, yeah, right? So, Elijah didn't even physically do all this. It got passed down to the generations. It's as if God is saying, hey, Elijah I know you feel like a failure because Jezebel is still on the throne, but I'm telling you, if you'll anoint Haziel and Jehu and Elisha, they will completely break Jezebel's influence over Israel. Elijah, your influence over Israel will last past your life. Ahab and Jezebel's influence will be utterly destroyed. If you'll just do your calling and anoint these three guys. Did you catch that? You see God's perspective? And so we got to get how much it's about our calling. I have experienced this. Last week we talked about Philippians 3. I said, I don't want a church full of Philippians 3 people that are saying, I forget what's behind, and I pressed forward towards the goal of the prize of high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I just keep forgetting what's behind me and press towards my calling. God does this with me all the time when I make a mistake or I think I do something wrong or I, I've I've erred and need to repent and all those things. I'll go and I'll start with the repentance and all that, and God immediately, well, I am I still want to, you know, I wanna, let's talk about what I did wrong and what I need to do different. How can I do it? And God very quickly will go, no, no, let's talk about the future. Yeah, you're forgiven. Let's go. And they'll start talking to me about, I want you to teach about this, or I want you to do this. Or, and he does this with me all the time. Do so you do that with you guys? You ever had that happen? Where you're trying to kind of wallow in self pity a little bit, and he goes, no, let's move on. Let's get back to your calling. He just does that. And so it's so important that if we're going to fight a spirit of fear, which is trying to keep us from our calling, that we allow God to continually re-engage us in our calling. So, anoint Haziel, anoint Jehu, anoint Elisha. This good? Getting it? All right, so let's jump ahead. Just let's look at Jehu because Jehu does most of this. He does say that uh, basically they're going to kill everyone, Uh, but Jehu does the the lion's share of the killing on this, and so he's more fun to read about uh, for right now. So you can read about that in 2 Kings chapters 9 and 10. It's in your notes. I would, again, encourage you this week, go read about Jehu because I want you to you know think about getting a little bit of a Jehu attitude going on. So uh, what you're going to read in those chapters is that Jehu kills the king of Israel, then he kills the king of Judah, and then I think he kills all of the king of Judah's brothers, and then he kills Jezebel. We'll talk about that in a minute. That's dramatic and fun. Uh Remember the one who's going to kill Elijah? Elijah's ministry assignment killed Jezebel. You getting this? Then he kills, Ahab's already dead. He kills Ahab's 70 sons and his entire remaining family. There's no one left of the clan of Ahab. He's wiped them out. And then for fun, he invites all the bail worshipers in the kingdom to a big Baal worship service. And they're very excited. And they get the biggest auditorium in town. And he puts his guards around on the outside of the auditorium. And he gets all the bail worshipers in there and he goes, you guys go in and kill them all. And he wipes out all the bail worshipers. This was Jehu's ministry. It's pretty good. It's a holy calling. Elijah's influence remains, Jehu's influence remains, uh, Jezebel's influence has just been wiped out. So Elijah wasn't so much of a failure after all. Now, I love this passage in 2 Kings chapter 10, verse 16. Uh, we see Elijah, I'm sorry, we see Jehu, and Jehu's, uh, he, apparently he drives a a Chariot in kind of a crazy way, because they talk about, you know, drive like Jay Hughes. He's, you know, uh, sounds like he was a wild and crazy guy. Anyway, he says, uh, someone's asked him what he's up to, and he's like, I ain't got time to stop and talk about this. You you know, if you're with me, get in the chariot. If you're not, I'll probably kill you. Uh, So the guy gets in the chariot, wise decision. And he says, come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. So we have another need here. If we're going to come against the spirit of fear, we're going to need to stir up our zeal for the Lord. This is where I want us to be like Jehu. I want us to stir our zeal for the Lord. Now, understand, this also has to do with your calling. If you read at the end of 2 Kings 10, what we read about Jehu is he didn't even really keep the law of God. It wasn't like he was David. He wasn't a man after God's own heart. He zealously did what God told him. He killed all the people God told him to kill. And because of that, it says God rewarded him and said his kids would sit on the throne, I think, to the third or fourth generation. But it specifically says he really really didn't follow the law of God, right? But he was zealous to do the thing God gave him. That's what God's asking us, to. I'm telling you, it's not just in general zeal for God, and I love to worship him. It's, your zeal's going to come out in your calling. It's, it's zealously re-engaging your calling. God gave me this to do, and I'm doing it, and no spirit of fear is going to keep me from it. So, if you're going to do battle with the spirit of fear, you can't compromise. You can't compromise with fear. There is no middle ground. Now, I cannot overstate this. There is no middle ground. The the Jezebel's name literally means will not cohabitate or will not come under. You have two choices with the spirit of fear. You can submit to it or you can go to war with it. There are no other options. There are no compromises. Submit or go to war. And war means war. Now, Here's what I love about Jehu. I love, this is the Jehu attitude that I'm hoping you'll develop, the zeal for the Lord to per- pursue and fulfill your calling. Jehu rides up. Uh, Jezebel's up in her tower, and she sticks her head out the window, and she knows Jehu's coming, so she got all pretty. And so she bats her eyelashes, and Jehu, are you here? She's starting to work it, right? Here's what I love. Jehu doesn't even engage her in conversation. He goes, Who up airs on my side? And a unit goes, I'm in. <laughs> and he goes, Throw her down. <laughs> splat. Jezebel, splat. That's it. Right? He doesn't even engage her in conversation. There is no compromise, there's no need for conversation. Just go to war. So, the devil is a liar. The devil will talk to you. He will lie to you. Anybody experience that? Anybody had the devil ask you a question? Really, his best weapon is, "Did God really say? He's been using it since the garden. Did God really say? Anybody have the devil ask you a question and you sit there and try to figure out how to answer it? Only one person. I know there's more. Or he said something and you're contemplating it. I wonder if he's right. Here's the deal Uh, you got to be like Jehu. Don't talk to the devil. Once you know who's answering the question, don't engage him in conversation. That needs to be cast down. Once you know who it is, once you know it's Jezebel, it needs to be cast down. That's what 2 Corinthians 10 is talking about. We cast down vain imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. That is every word out of the devil's mouth. You don't need to answer him. You don't need to talk with him. You don't need to explain yourself to him. He's a liar. Just go, no, go into war. Shut up. Not entertaining that. Not going to be afraid of what you want me to be afraid of. And I get that sometimes there's even a physical element to this. You know, the panic attacks, that's the kind of thing that Brian was going through. Just go, hey, I know who that is. I'm not going to take that person. I'm not going to take that from God. I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight with the war of God. Right? Okay, so I'm going to give the second half of this to Rachel because uh, Rachel has uh, both uh, fought this battle and won this battle a lot Uh I don't know, maybe this is the thing that God always, or the, the devil always attacks worship leaders with, I don't know, but she's had this struggle, and she's fought, and she's won, and so uh, I'm going to let her come and give you practical tips on how to war against fear.
1: Woo! Thank you, Pastor Tony, that was very good. Um, first of all, thank you guys for praying for my brother, he's doing very, very well, and we think he's going home on Monday. Still needs some prayer for small things, uh, some financial assistance, and his voice isn't great. But he he literally almost died. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Prayer works. God is good. Um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't sign up for the battle with fear. I did not put my hand up for that one. But for somehow, that one decided to chase me down. I have stories after stories throughout my life, even from a, um, probably... When I was 12, it was the first time I ever felt that kind of panicky condemnation fear thing. And uh, thank God I was born again and prayed in tongues because I remember just laying on the couch in the middle of the night just praying in tongues. And it never hit me again, so I didn't think much about it until later on in life. That is not where I'm going to start the story. One day when I was 21, uh, I'm going to start with 2020. So I have had a lot of victory Over a battle with fear, I've had those weird conversations with the enemy. But he sounds like Jesus. He tries real good to sound like God. Like, wouldn't God want you to do that? That would just show Jesus' love. And you know it's not. It's not at all what God's calling you to. And one, there's no peace in it. If the enemy's talking to you, there's no peace. 2020, though, Tony says, I'm going to get up at 5 a.m. and pray. So I thought, well, I can't let him beat me at that, so... Um, much to his dismay at first, I was getting up. I started getting up with him at 5, too. I think he just wanted the alone time, but I started getting up at 5. So we're praying at 5 in the morning, in the dark, and then he goes, let's pray on the 5s. So we're praying at 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. We did this throughout 2020, throughout most of 21, probably until the end when we had the conferences at the end of 21. Um, a friend told me a testimony, how he started really giving himself to prayer, and God just started engaging him and changing him. So that was also part of my motivation. So I thought, "Woohoo! hoo I'm going to encounter God. All right, a year in, into 21, I remember I'm sitting on the bed, and I had, a, I had a book opportunity on the table with a good friend of mine, a very, very famous, popular general market author. Um, there was potentially a lot of money on the table. I wasn't sure because we hadn't never talked deal points yet. And I remember just thinking about it, and this thing hit me. From the outside, that what if you can't do it, and there's all this money on the line, and you destroy your life. You destroy your financials. You destroy everything. There was the first time I ever really felt like, what if you can't do it? And I knew it was the enemy, so I, st- I tried to throw it off. I began to throw it off, and I, I began to battle that. Um, and when she sent me the deal, I, I just felt kind of this panic, like, I, I can't do it. I can't do it. I knew this was, was not the right confession, but that's just what I was battling with. And so this weekly anxiety started to occur. So even when, so this is May of 21, even when we, I turned down, it wasn't the deal points that I wanted. It wasn't a good thing ultimately for my career. She agreed. And I turned it down, but I would still, every week, I would just feel myself go sink it would be something I would see on Facebook. Um, it would be something someone said. It would be something that I heard. I, it could be anything, you guys, and I would just feel myself start to sink. And, all right, about 24 hours in or 36 hours in, you know, I couldn't sleep. I, something in the night would bug me. I said um, the Lord would begin to encounter me. So I, I thought when the deal points was over and when that, I thought the whole battle was because of this book deal. When that was over... It wasn't. It kept coming. So finally in July, I said, all right, I've had enough. And some of you guys heard me talk about this before. I said, I have had enough. I put a counter on my phone, a counter, C-O-U-N-T-E-R, not the kind that you set your dishes on, but the kind that you count stuff with. And I loaded up on the Bible verses because this is what I knew from the past. This is what I knew worked. I got out my sword, and I loaded up on the Bible verses, and I literally said, you going to hit me? I'm going to hit you. I'm not going to have this conversation anymore. But it was coming at me at all sides. It could be anything. I saw some sorority sisters wanted to get together for a reunion, and for various reasons, um, that sent me into this place of dread and panic, and well, <laughs> various reasons for that. But just, it could be anything like that. Um, long ago, Stuart Greaves told a story of a girl out at IHOP who was diagnosed as a manic depressive. And so she would have these kind of episodes when she was in the prayer room. And she was in the prayer room one day, and someone was praying in tongues. And it kind of freaked her out. She ran out. She went in the bathroom. A bunch of people followed her. What they found out was over her lifetime as a teenager into her young 20s, she had confessed death over herself by saying she wanted to die. So she got a physical counter that we used to use in the grocery store. Remember those? And she got the opposite verse to combat the confession of death over herself. And she could, uh, uh, they added up that she probably confessed death over herself like 20,000 times. 1,500 times into the confession of life and Jesus, bam, the Lord set her free. So I, I knew that worked. That was another testimony that I knew would work. So I began, I think I said Philippians 4, 6, and 7, be anxious for nothing. Uh, probably 118 times in two weeks. It was just, I would just say it throughout the day. I, I, and I had other verses that I was saying, I had other things I was praying, praying for Tony. I entered the battle, and when I entered the battle, I began to encounter God. Because God wasn't afraid of the battle. He knew that he could encounter me in the battle. So as I'm walking and praying in the evening, the Lord began to bring me through small things. You know, that resentment you have towards your publisher for some things, your previous publisher, you, you need to deal with that. That's not okay. You know, deep down, Rachel, you don't trust me. Deep, 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 deep down, you don't trust me. And he was right in every way. So I'm walking and praying. And guys, after a while, it does get a little dull, like, Okay, here we go. Psalm 43, 3 through 4. Send your light and your truth, Lord. Let them lead me and guide me to your holy hill. And I would feel so rote that, bam, my spirit would begin to come alive. I'd be walking down the road weeping because of, of, uh, I don't know, pull one out of my hat, Psalm 103 um, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all this that is within me. Bless his holy name. He pardons all my iniquities, heals all my diseases. Anything that ministered to me, I put it on my list. And I would repeat them daily, daily, daily for months and months and months. I was practicing my sword. I was changing my inner man. Um, I had this really weird um, thing. My, my favorite drink, you guys, I'm going to confess. Please don't come up and talk to me about it later. <laughs> I like Diet Coke. Thank you, Lori. <laughs> when Diet Coke and when all of the diet drinks in the 80s changed from saccharin to, to um, aspartame, I read this article that said aspartame was like formaldehyde for the brain. So I'm like, oh, that's bad. So even though I enjoyed the drink, and for years I tried to give up the drink. For years and years and years and years I tried to give up the drink because... I had flamaldehyde on my brain. Why do I like this drink? I don't drink coffee. That's my drink. I drink water and Diet Coke. So I would pray. So I'm walking one night, and I'm like, okay, Lord. And, and I would, when I would drink Diet Coke sometimes, I would start to feel panicky, nervous. Like, I just froze my brain. Like, I'm going to flip out. And when you, you, when, you have, when you deal with fear and anxiety and panic, you feel like you're going to lose your mind. You really do. You feel like you're going to lose your mind. You feel like, I'm going crazy. And then this season, it was even to the point where, like, I don't know if I have to go get some drugs or something. Because it was, it was intense. I, I cannot express to you how intense it was. So I'm walking down the road, and I said, okay, God, I am totally willing to give up Diet Coke, but you've got to help me. Because I don't want to feel this way. I don't want food to cause me anxiety. Right? So I started praying for Hebrews 4, and 4.12. Um, you better know Hebrews four twelve. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two edged sword. Divide between soul and spirit, joint and marrow, on the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That is every part of your physical being. As I begin to pray that, the Lord began to release that fear associated with that drink off of me. A friend of mine, a neighbor, tells me a story about her uh, mother in law who did not like cream cheese. Fear is ludicrous, you guys. There's a lot of ludicrous things associated with fear. Her mother-in-law didn't like cream cheese. She ate something that had cream cheese in it. She liked the cream cheese. My friend said, look, you ate something with cream cheese in it. She panicked and almost had to take a Xanax. And I thought, Rachel, that's you. You're being ridiculous because I believed a lie. I associated myself with something. We can talk about the value of health and not drinking Diet Coke for other reasons, but me having a panic attack or feeling panicky or nervous or condemned, that condemnation that comes with fear, that's not God. That's not part of it. Condemnation doesn't make us change. Conviction makes us change. So the first practical tip that I want to give you guys is to cling to him. Cling to his word. It does work. I've heard people say, well, what do you do when prayer and the word don't work? I think you go back to, you're not doing it right. You go back to prayer and the word. It is the thing that works. It is the thing that is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword in you. You got an emotional problem, go to the word. You got a physical problem, go to the word. You got a heart problem, go to the word. You got a mouth problem, go to the word. It is in the word. I'm telling you, it is in the word. So Tony mentioned the thing about Elijah And he said he was the only one left because fear caused Elijah to have a wrong view of God. So in the midst of this for me, and I think in the midst of anybody who's in a fear battle or any battle that you're in, is God wants to remove everything that hinders love. And I love the song that we sing, the chorus that Jeremiah made up years ago. I want to be free from everything that keeps me from loving you. And somewhere along the line, I prayed that prayer enough times. God says, 2021, we're going to get at that because you have a wrong view of God, you begin to think things that the enemy is whispering could be God because they just sound like something God might want you to do because it sounds painful or you don't want to do it or it's, you know, it's not, you're not you not gifted in it, but I guess he's calling me. In Romans 11.3, Paul writes that when Elijah said that he was the only one left, he actually interceded against Israel. He interceded against Israel in that prayer on your paper, because he said he was the only one left. Fear causes us to not be in alignment with God. So that's why we have to confront fear. So the first practical thing is lean into him. You will feel dull and bored, but stick with it. Set your prayer time. Set your alarm clock. When can you get alone with God? If you struggle in that, there's all kinds. of Download the Uversion app. They have devotionals. They have daily reading. We have prayer meetings here. We have worship nights here. Get where you can begin to build your prayer language because you don't have it. You don't, sometimes we don't have it yet. We're used to praying you know, for our family and friends. But that prayer language we need to dialogue with God, we don't have it. So when you pray with others... Turn IHOP on. Learn how to pray the word. Learn how to bring the, the very Bible, the words you're reading in the Bible in the morning. Turn them into your prayer language. Get them in you. You gotta eat the word. You gotta do like Jeremiah. Eat the scroll. There are times in the moment when I said the first word of a verse and the Lord would just come. He began to change my emotional DNA. I would sit down to pray. And I would just go, hey, Jesus, boom, he would come. The second practical is learn to focus on your spirit, man. That guy right in here. (laughs) You have the Holy Spirit within you, but our spirit is born again. But we spend so much time in our soul because that's what our mind, our will, our emotions, that that seems more alive to us than our spirit man. We learn to focus on our spirit man, you'll begin to change. And I would remember at times feeling, okay, I'm feeling like I'm going to get a little nervous, I'm going to get a little edgy. And I'd never had anything hit me on a regular basis before. It wasn't like that for me in the past, but that's what started happening at 21, about once a week. And then I'd be fine and think, okay, that was it, that was over, and then boom, here it would come. I learned to focus on my spirit, man, get out of that emotion for the moment because it does feel real. But what's more real is the reality of Jesus and his power in our lives and the word of God working in our lives. The third practical thing is over time, prayer just became a delight. And weeping, weeping became a daily occurrence. I wept every day through 21 and most of 22 And they were the good tears. Don't be afraid to weep. Weeping will cleanse your emotions. Don't be afraid to weep, especially before the Lord. Especially before the Lord. In 21, as I began to do these prayer verses, God began to encounter me. And I mean, how many of us have prayed for more encounter, more God? More encounter, more God. More encounter, more God. And it just seems like year after year, day after day, it doesn't it doesn't come, you know. But when you press in in the dullness, I wanted to give this example of um, when you go to the gym. If I go to the gym and I just talk to my fr- the people that I know at the gym, you know, you have your gym buddies, the people you see all the time, and I just stare at the machines. I don't get a transformed body, right? It's pointless. But if or if you go to Krav Maga and you stand around and watch other people punch other people, you're not going to learn how to do it yourself. So when you go to the gym, you work it. When you go to Krav Maga, you work it. We have to work the word. You do, there is that point. We need the discipline of working the word. We need to go, you know what, I can't do that right now because I said I was going to have my prayer time. But if you have to do that, when are you going to have your prayer time? When are you going to read the word? And it's gonna, I'm telling you guys, it is. There were mornings where I'm like, I was falling asleep reading the word, but I read the word. So, my fourth year of reading the word, or my third year reading the word every, straight through. Like, I've read the Bible in the past, but I didn't read it every year, straight through. What, God willing, for the rest of my life, I'll read the Bible every year, all the way through. It's that, but you know what? I feel the transformation on the inside. It is happening on the inside. I'm more sensitive to Him. So, remember in 21, um, our. Some of you were here, some of you weren't, but our friend Ted, Ted um, Travis, his wife Linda's over there, Ted Travers, I said Travis, I'm sorry, Ted Travis walked in, he was here visiting from out of town, but he did youth ministry with Tony and I for years and years and years, very good friends, Ted and Linda, very good friends. Ted walks in the back door, I'm leading a worship, and you guys, it was this Jesus himself walked in, and I just started weeping and weeping. Because I felt the presence of the Lord. It was when he walked into the room, everything changed. Things like this begin to happen the more I pressed into the Lord. And this is like early on in the beginning. I've only been quoting verses for about a month and a half now. Um, there was another time when I went out for my 5 o'clock prayer time. said, hey, Tony, I'm going out for my 5 o'clock prayer time. Yes, I walked at 5 o'clock even in July and August. And I walked out the door and he was already there. I walked straight into his presence. I'm just walking out the, down the sidewalk weeping. It was like Adam and Eve met him in the cool of the day. Uh, one time I, I walked into our bedroom, and it kind of it was evening, and the light was coming through the doors of the bedroom. He was already there. I just fell on the floor and wept. One day I was here praying on Tuesday morning. I encourage everyone to come pray if you can on Tuesday morning, 7 o'clock. And um, I'd gone to the ladies' room, and I thought, you know, I'm going to go sit in the sanctuary for a bit. Walk through those doors. He was already here. As if he knew what I was going to do before I did it. And, he, and I just felt the Lord turn to me and say, we've spent a lot of time in this room, haven't we? I've been here 36 years. And I hit the floor right there and wept. And he talked to me about uh, the book that I was finishing at the time best summer of our lives Uh, he talked to me about the character one of the characters named summer but it applied to me in the sense that the character summer had a goal she wanted to be a country music star and she spent 20 years trying to achieve it but she never did but the lord had called her 20 years before she just didn't understand his calling and he said to me about her just weird god talking about fictional characters but if i'm in him and my characters are in me then my characters are in him and he said um She was always going to be, there's always going to be a wilderness experience. It's just with me or without me. And I understood, because in the story, she comes back around to that same dry place, and there he is waiting for her. And I understood for me that, Rachel, there was always going to be this journey, but you're going to do it with me or without me. You chose it to do it with me. If I hadn't walked this fear journey with him, I don't know where I'd be today. I honestly do not know where I'd be. But he was already here. He's so willing. He wants to meet with us, you guys. He wants to meet with you. And fear is the thing that hinders love. Wrong belief about him hinders love. The fourth practical is ask for a divine exchange. I begin to ask the Lord for every moment of anxiety and dread, every moment that I was awake in the night battling something that I knew was stupid, that I knew wasn't right, that I didn't want to be there, I want to encounter you. I want you times 10. I want love times 10. I want joy times 10. And you know, the fruit of the Spirit are all supernatural fruits. You can have a kindness cup and a kindness t-shirt and say, choose joy, choose kindness, all day long. And you can have moments of it. But you're never going to have it at any depth or any reality that you can communicate to anybody else without the supernatural presence of the Holy Spirit. Eat the fruit of the Spirit. He brought you to the banqueting table, Song of Solomon 2.4, and his banner over you is love. And I began to pray that verse, and I said, I want to eat at your banqueting table. What's on the table? And he said, the fruit of the Spirit. That's what's going to change you. That's what's going to overcome fear. The more of him that you have, I begin to ask. I want more Holy Spirit. In Luke, he says, how much more of the Holy Spirit will I give to those who ask? It's not, what I have now is not enough. It's not enough. I want more. I got probably 30 years, hopefully, 30 good years left on this earth. I'm leaving it all in the field. My one magnificent obsession from this time forth is him. I don't want anything else. I want him. I don't have to achieve anything else. Remember that when I talk book stuff and you go, hey. (laughs) I thought you didn't want anything. I don't. You know what I mean? That's what I want. And it's getting a hold of him. And the first, you want to encounter God? Open the book. Open the book. Read the book as if it's a conversation to you personally. Begin to sing it, say it, write it, read it, pray it. Turn it into the dialogue with God because he will respond to you. The fifth one is what I kind of already alluded to this. Find a way to build your personal library. Get the YouVersion app. You know, on my notes app, I, if I see a prayer or a scripture or anything, I stick it in my notes app. And if I'm stuck or, or don't know what to pray about or I'm just kind of milling around in my head, I go into my notes app and I pull up those notes and I go, oh, I can be praying for these people or, oh, I can be praying this prayer. Um, I have a, a prayer book from Mike Bickle. Um, he has all these acronyms, the fellowship prayer and the ark prayer and the trust prayer. Sometimes I'll just pray through that because it, it re me on why I'm doing what I'm doing. It reminds me that God of the universe who created it all wants a relationship with me. And he wants a relationship with you. And fear is not your future. Fear hinders love. We're asking God to do everything, to remove everything that hinders love. Your grandmama had fear. Your mama had fear. You don't got to have fear. Some of it is generational. Your your parents had it. Your grandparents had it. Just because they have heart disease doesn't mean you have to have heart disease. You are born again. You're of a new creation. You're born of the Spirit. You have something new. Were you born that way? Yep. You got to get born again. Of course we're born that way. We're born in the flesh. We got to get born again. Over time just the word became living and active. And any twinge of the flesh that I would feel like, uh oh, uh oh, I feel like something's coming on, or or I feel a little overwhelmed, like I had a lot to do. And I was up with my brother, and I started thinking about, okay, now you have a rewrite coming up, you got two classes to teach at conference. Conference is a week is like almost a month earlier this year. Oh my oh my no, we're not going there. I'll be anxious for nothing. Nothing. Do you know what nothing means? No thing. Not that thing. Can I worry about that thing? No, not that thing. We don't worry about anything. God, you have my schedule. You can work this. You can work out our financial situation. I will be anxious for no thing. I'll bring it to the Lord in prayer. Because the peace of God that what? Surpasses all knowledge and comprehension. It doesn't live in here. It lives in here in that old spirit guy. He... Will begin to take control. It will guard your heart and mind. Your heart and mind, in your heart and mind, and your will, your emotions, even your personality, is in that umbrella of your heart and mind. God will guard it with his peace if you let him. This is my favorite. And I'll close right here. Revelation 3, 18 through 20. We in pre-service prayer, we sang a little bit about this. This is the divine exchange verse because that's really what we're after. God, I give you all my fears, all my lust, everything that I have going on, whatever it is, greed, envy, the seven deadlies, anger, jealousy, whatever. I give that to you for what you have, that divine exchange. Revelation 3, 18 through 20 says, Jesus is talking. He's talking to the Laodicean church, but he says, come, buy from me. Gold refined in the fire. Buy from me white garments to clothe your nakedness. Buy from me salve for your eyes that you might see. It's the divine exchange. I've refined the gold. I've washed and purified the garments. And I've fixed your vision. Come buy from me. Come look for me. And I'll give you a salve for your eyes that you might see. And then he says, those whom, he, those, in this, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. And then he goes straight to, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Come for the divine exchange. Come by things from me. Get from me and guess what? We're going to go to dinner and I'll eat your bologna sandwich and I'll let you have my steak. That's how good he is. And then he says to him who overcomes. Guys, we have to overcome fear. We don't, you can't overcome it. I'm here to tell you, you can't overcome it. But to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. Amen? Amen? In the end, I think all of us here, and I think our goal of the leadership here is to be a people of a vibrant heart. And you can't have a vibrant heart when it's weighed down. And we have a vibrant heart because God wants you to have a vibrant heart. God wants you to have that relationship with him. And sometimes he allows us to go through these battles in order to get us to look. So if you're in a battle, just know God's going, look up, look up, lift your gaze. I'm right here. I'm going to help you. Amen. <laughs> and you can't defeat this without the power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot. You can manage it, but you're never going to overcome it. You, so let's have a vibrant heart by dealing with and confronting our fears. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Uh, let's have the worship team up. We're, we're, uh, well, we're about out of time. But we had time to worship because, you know, Jesus has more time. He'll give you extra time. He made time. He's got all he needs. Um, Here's what I want to do. and uh, We're going to go back into worship, and you're basically free to go when you're done. We're not going to have a dismissal. Just We're going to worship for a few minutes, a song or two. When you are ready, go to lunch. It's all good. Uh, But uh, now, the sort of no-brainer thing to do at this point would be to, we're going to pray for people who struggle with fear. We're going to break fear. And all that. But that's not what we're going to do because God said, and I really think God said this. God told me, oh, uh, now, I'll, I'll, here, I'll do the teaching part first. Um, you know, the Bible says that we're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Does Jesus have a problem with fear? No. Did Jesus already win that battle? Yes. Did he win that battle for us? Yes. So the battle's been won. We just have to enforce it. So uh, that being said, uh, what I felt like God said at the end of the service is, He says, I want you to celebrate the victory over fear that I have given you. And He just wants us to enter into celebration that we are free from fear, that He has given us victory. Does this make sense to you? So uh, let's stand. We're going to worship. We're going to celebrate that this fear that is going to increase in the earth, that God says that men's hearts will fail them for fear in the last days. We are free of that. We are free of that. Jesus has made us free of that. And so I just want you to enter into that celebration. When you're done celebrating, go to lunch. Amen.